So this morning we are talking about Joshua 10. And uh, have you ever, have you ever like played some of those games where like it's a, it's a quiz and like the, the picture zooms way in on something and you try to guess what it is before it like expands and like you get more points the closer that you get when it's, you know, oh, it's 10 points if you can guess it right away and then like once it's zoomed out then you don't get any points. Um, you kind of see things from a different light. Well, th- think of that too like, you know, kind of the opposite effect for a second is we got a picture of this couple that uh, they, were, they were getting engaged and it, which is, you know, so cool but if you zoom way in you're going to notice there's somebody else way, way back in the distance and the sign just says, say no. Just say no. Just, so sometimes there's a zoom in and there's a zoom out effect that, that takes place in life. This is not a, a mock of don't get married. That's not what that is. Um, but, you know, sometimes in, in life that you could see a picture and there's more going on than what meets the eye. There's more happening if, whether you're zoomed in or you're zoomed way out. And this morning, we're going to take a look at a passage of scripture in Joshua 10 that we've been going through the, uh, the book of Joshua for, uh, for a little bit now. And I, I just need to put a disclaimer out there. And this is probably the worst day to do this because uh, Candace, our kids director, was sick this morning and she was unable to find some adult volunteers to run that. And so we have a lot more kids in here than normal. So this is probably uh, the worst Sunday for something like this. I just want to put a disclaimer out and I'll let you know when. But there is going to be a, a time in the service, if you're watching online or you have kids in the room, that you're going to want to have them step aside or turn, turn off the, the watch online for a second or just take them out for about five minutes or so. Um, I'm not going to be, um, how do I say, I'm not going to go into detail, but there's going to be some key words that you may not want your kids to know about um, if you're not ready to have those conversations. So just forewarning you beforehand as we, as we talk about the text and give context to what's going on here. So I'm just kind of putting that out there. I'll let you know when we're talking about that in a second. Um, the first things first is that whenever we come across a passage of scripture that's troubling or doesn't make sense, we can have one or two views of this. One view is to say, wow, Lord, this... This passage, I don't understand this. Lord, would you help me to understand this? Your word is true. Um, Your word is life. And so there must be something wrong with me that I don't understand what's going on here in this context. The other viewpoint is I don't understand what's going on in this passage. Therefore, it must be either not understandable or there must be something wrong with God because this doesn't make sense to me. That's a very arrogant viewpoint when it comes to God's word and God's character. Uh, I'll be honest, th- what we're going to talk about today is one of the most difficult passages to talk about and give a defense for our faith. And it's a reason why there's uh, a lot of people who have walked away from church. It's a reason why a lot of people... Um, have either moved to progressive Christianity or just kept going to um, agnosticism or atheism for the most part for what I'm about to talk about here. And uh, I want to give some reasonings. This morning we're, we're, 
We're going to talk a lot about apologetics. Uh, so kind of just hang tight. It's going to be a, we're going to put on our, our thinking caps today that we are going to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind. We are going to love the Lord our God with our mind this morning by thinking through some of these difficult passages but still have some good reasoning to. That said, let me pray because I want to make sure that um, I honor the Lord with this. So, God, we just uh, come before you this morning with finite minds and finite thinking. And we know that your thoughts are higher than our thoughts and your ways are higher than our ways. Yet we don't want that to just be a cop-out. We want to really examine what is happening in the text here and to truly come to some uh, sound thinking and sound doctrine of how to approach this. What are some takeaways from this? And so God, we just pray that you'd be honored It wouldn't be about me. It wouldn't be about my persuasive speech. It would be all about you, Jesus. And so we thank you in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, So Joshua 10, we're going to pick up a little bit before the craziness uh, in verse 9. Uh, Joshua 10, verse 9. If you've got your Bibles, you can go there. Uh, Just to set this up in a little bit of context, uh, the Israelite army has marched all through the night. To, uh, to have a surprise attack on, um, on the Canaanites, on different cities. Different cities in Canaan, uh, one of them being Jerusalem that was a part of Canaan uh, beforehand. Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lashish, not if I'm saying that right, and then Eglon, they have joined forces to fight the Israelite army. And actually this became something that was a benefit to Joshua and the Israelites is that they could just kind of gather all their resources and fight them all together all at once. So we pick it up in in Joshua 10 verse 9. Joshua traveled all night from Gilgal and took the Amorite armies by surprise. The Lord threw them into a panic and the Israelites slaughtered great numbers of them at Gibeon. Then the Israelites chased the enemy along the road to Beth Haran, killing them all the way to Ezekah and Makeda. As the Amorites retreated down the road from Beth Haran, the Lord destroyed them with a terrible hailstorm from heaven that uh, continued until they reached Ezekah. The hail killed more of the enemy than the Israelites killed with the sword. Verse 12, on the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel. He said, let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. Is this event not recorded in the book of Jashar? Just kind of a a book of poetry and and just different things that were circulating at the time. The sun stayed in the middle of the sky and it did not set as a normal day. There has never been a day like this one before or since when the Lord answered such a prayer. Surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. This was an incredible, miraculous moment from the Lord. Now this may seem... 
impossible. Let me just say in other cultures, we see different accounts of this day as well. In ancient Chinese writings, there is a legend of a lawn day. In the Incas of Peru and Aztecs of Mexico, they also have a like day. There's a Babylonian and Persian legend of a day that miraculously extended. Herodotus, an ancient historian, recounts while in Egypt, he was shown temple records that read of a day that was twice the length of any natural day that had ever been recorded. We see God going to incredible lengths to rescue and provide for his people. The crossing of the Jordan River, the walls of Jericho falling, the sun standing still and becoming, and the day becoming longer. These are incredible miracles and all of it is possible. Knowing that the greatest miracle in the world took place in Genesis 1-1 that God created the world out of nothing. God spoke and the world came forth. If he can do that, then the Red Sea, the Jordan River, the sun standing still, these are all completely possible. Knowing that in our worldview, that God created the world out of nothing. All of that, everything, knowing that the The pinnacle comes to the resurrection. Everything in Christianity hinges on the resurrection. And if we know that God created the world out of nothing, then the resurrection is not difficult for God. We know that because of that, because of the resurrection of our Lord, that Jesus took on on sin, took our place on the cross, died in our place, rose again victoriously to defeat death, sin, hell, the grave, and Satan once and for all. And one day he is coming back. And so all these things are completely possible and especially with the resurrection. I would love to get into all the reasoning and apologetics of the resurrection, but that's another day. So here we come to what we were talking about before. The Canaanite conquest. Did God really author the killing of this in these texts? Uh, These passages have the most difficulty to wrap our brains around, to really have a sound reasoning and understanding. Um, I would would encourage you that if you have questions like this, uh, some trusted resources that I've come across probably in the last three years, Lord just really put on my heart to really dive into apologetics. Um, Different people that are close to me that have started to walk away from their faith. And I just felt like I was putting on my heart to, um, to train myself and just to learn more. God, what are the, what are the things that I can know in these things? So one thing is to just share some uh, some resources for you in that one, a great resource is a guy named Frank Turek. Uh, he has a ministry called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist and also Cross Examine. He has a podcast. Greg Kolkel, Stand to Reason podcast. Elisa Childers, uh, the Elisa Childers podcast. Jay Warner Wallace, Cold Case Christianity, also a podcast. Clay Jones, uh, who we'll be talking about later, is a professor at Biola University, clayjones.net. Um, if you want, snap a picture of this. Look them up later. Uh, these are incredible people that are way smarter than me. Uh, for the most of it, I'm just kind of gathering a lot of their reasoning, a lot of their uh, hard research as well. So we pick it up here in Joshua, and the Israelites capture the five kings of the Canaanites. Uh, Joshua 10, verse 28 through 41. We're not going to read all of it. 
but I'll, I'll just summarize a little bit. It says this in verse 28. That same day Joshua captured and destroyed the town of Makeda. He killed everyone in it, including the king, leaving no survivors. He destroyed them all and he killed the king of Makeda and as he had killed the king of Jericho. Then Joshua and the Israelites went to Libna and attacked it. There too the Lord gave them the town and its king. He killed everyone in it, leaving no survivors. Then Joshua killed the king of Libna as he killed the king of Jericho. And there's kind of this pattern in the next few verses, 28 through 41. Continues on, cities of Makeda, Libna, uh, Latish, Eglin, Hebron, Debir. Same thing, slaughtered, no survivors. This should trouble us a little bit. This should kind of offend our senses a little bit to, to see what's going on here. Um, this is probably the, the, the good time if you're watching online uh, to probably take the kids away or if you have kids in the room to take them out of the room because there's going to be some, some as we talk about the, the Canaanite culture, um, there's going to be some keywords that you're gonna want, not going to want them to hear. Um, how could God author this slaughter? How could he do that? How could he, how could he, you know, isn't this genocide? You know, atheists uh, talk about the Old Testament God among other things. Richard Dawkins calls God a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser. Whoa, that's pretty strong words there. First of all, with the Old Testament God, we have to have a better understanding knowing that uh, when Jesus says, or in in John 1.1 that says, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was was God, uh, he was with God in the beginning. But Jesus is, the Trinity was always there. The Trinity wasn't a created thing in the New Testament. The Trinity was always a part of this. So Jesus is with God in the beginning. He's there throughout all of the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit is there throughout all the whole Old Testament. So we have to have a proper view of the Trinity because we can't just separate, oh, this is Jesus in the New Testament, good God, and you know, God the Father, Old Testament, bad God. The Trinity is all together. So here we are. What's going on here? God promises to give the land of Canaan to the Israelites. Um, says that not now, but there's going to come a day. So in Genesis 15, this is prophesied, the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. 400. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them and in the end they will come away with great wealth. After four generations, 400 years, your descendants will return to this land for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. In other words, they're bad, but their sin hasn't, become, hasn't come to the point of no return. God foreshadows this. 400 years this has gone on. This wasn't a quick decision. This wasn't God had a bad day and he just kind of decided to take his wrath. No, this was 400 years until it got to horrendous wickedness. I'm going to give you their land, but not yet. It needs to get to a point where there's nothing left redeemable about it. What was so bad? How could God kill all these people? Let's talk about it. God says leave nothing alive. Um, 
Is this genocide? This is not genocide. This is, this is really capital punishment. This had nothing to do with ethnicity. This had to do with sin and the atrociousness of that sin that was happening. And this wasn't killing all the Canaanites. This was just specific areas where the sin was rampant and the wickedness was rampant. It wasn't everywhere. It was specific pagan cities. So a genocide would be everywhere. This is specific. This is different. So was God wrong in this? So here's the part where they, where, what they did. Maybe some of you know this. They did unspeakable things. It's not like, oh, they were wicked. Like, they had some unpaid parking tickets that, you know, like they, I don't know, they cut somebody off when they were driving or, you know, they said they were going to mow their neighbor's lawn and they didn't. Like, no, this is, this is bad. This was sexual perversion and depravity of every kind. This was part of their religion by following these pagan gods. Rape, incest, bestiality, homosexuality, polygamy, it was all wrapped up. It was everywhere. It was the, it was the men, it was the women. It, were actually, it was seen as a, a better thing if you're, the more wicked your dreams were, the better it was. The, oh, you're going to be blessed. These people were wicked. Not only that, but they did child sacrifice. There's a picture of uh, this pagan god Molech. And what they would do is they would take this idol and they would heat up this, this idol until it would get so hot they would lay children on this idol and the baby would sizzle to death. The drummers would drum so loud so that the parents of putting the child on these, this idol's hands, the parents wouldn't hear the screams of their own children. The babies would then die and shrivel up and fall through the hands into a bin where they were collected by the thousands. It was awful. Absolutely wicked. God finally said, I'm done. I gave you 400 years, 400 years. What's funny is that skeptics and atheists say, where is God when evil happens? And here's the situation where God steps in and then they say, how could God do that? He just listed him. God is not arbitrary when he gives judgment in the Old Testament, he gives reasons for them. If today's atheists were present with some of these things happen, they would be crying out, where is God? Why doesn't he step in? And he did. He did step in. He said, enough. I'm not allowing this anymore. And he used the Israelite army to judge them. The sad thing about this is that all these sins, uh, there's n not much different going on today. All of these sexual sins are just a click away on the internet. And when we talk about child sacrifice, when we remember that 4,000 innocent babies were murdered just today through legalized abortion, uh, there, there is wickedness. Let me just say, thank, thank you, Jesus, for the abortion ban that's going on right now in Texas. Thank you, Lord, for your, for your goodness. 
these children that get life. It's incredible. So, that is part of the wickedness. Uh, if, you are join, if you are kind of watching online, you could come back now. Uh, if you have kids maybe in, in the lobby, you can come back now. But just wanted to, to really not sanitize God in a sense of how could he do this? God was just. Th- this was patience. This was mercy that God showed for years and years and years. And we're going to get into that later. So he talks about the women. How could the women be killed? The women were just as bad. The women were just as corrupt. The thing that's probably most difficult to talk about is probably the, the children. Why, why were the children? Why, why were the kids taken? Why were the kids killed? Uh, so Clay Jones, who is an author, speaker, professor at Biola, um, he talks about this and talks about this extensively in his in books, in, in blogs. And uh, he talks about with, with that he, him and his wife were not able to have children, but they did tons of foster care through the years. And what they realized through foster care is that kids take their culture with them, whoever they are. And this is not to dissuade people from foster care, and this is certainly not to dissuade people from adoption, but this is just kind of the realness that he shares about in this. He says, to assume that kids won't be the person that they were for the first few years of their life is just not true. He tells a story of a 13-year-old girl that uh, was, um, had some horrible things done to her, and then uh, she tries to tempt him. And he says, oh, no, oh, no, 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 that's not going to happen here. Uh, and she was, she, he, you know, he brought his wife into it and, and they uh, counseled her and kind of grounded her and just talked talk through these things. Uh, and so we have to imagine for a second, imagine thousands of, of children. What do we do with these, what do we do with these children? God says that if you don't wipe them out, they're going to corrupt you. They're going to bring their culture into the Israelite culture. Kids are fascinated with the culture that they come from in adoption and in in foster care. Um, Who are my parents? What were things like in my culture? And just imagine the conversation as they get older. You have to say, wait, you're not my parents? What happened to my parents? Well, you did what to my parents? You might have to sleep with one eye open as they get older because you might be, care- might be worried that they're going to come after you in the middle of the night. Um, there's a lot of challenges when we kind of reason out this situation. There's three options of really what could have happened with the children uh, of the Canaanites, what the Israelites could have done. They could have adopted them. Um, at what ages? Where do we draw the line? There's kind, of some, there's kind of some challenges associated with that. You could abandon them, which is pretty heartless. Uh, you know, they could be eaten by wild animals. Or you could take their lives. Again, this is no easy passage. But we have to remind ourselves that there are innocent lives lost all the time to save others. And let me, un- let me unpack this for a second before you go tweeting something and take it out of context. And if you're watching online, don't take me out of context here. Let me give you an illustration. Um, we're coming up on the 20th anniversary of 9-11 pretty soon. 
United 93 was hijacked to go to the capital, the U.S. capital, to take out even more people. Thankfully, some brave men and women um, overthrew the hijackers, tried to uh, overthrow the pilot. Sadly, they crashed into a field in Pennsylvania. The military was given orders to take out United 93. Now, if United 93 um, had to be taken down by the, by the military, that would have been tragic. That would have been awful. But it would have been even worse to have them lo- lose their lives and more people from the U.S. Capitol that would have lost their lives as well. The point I'm trying to make is that innocent lives are lost all the time. And it was actually God's mercy, God's mercy to take the life of the children. That seems counterintuitive. Again, let me unpack this. The Canaanite children had to die so that they wouldn't grow up and be corrupt. That they wouldn't get to a certain age where they were not redeemable anymore. That by them dying in that moment, they instantly were in heaven with the Lord. By them dying in those moments, they were innocent that they went to be with the Lord. This is, this is Christianity 101, that when you die, this is not the end of your existence, that you will live on somewhere. And so in God's infinite knowledge, in his mercy, those little children were precious to them and they were instantly with them in heaven. When Jesus says in Matthew 18, let the little children come to me and he blesses them, uh, this, they are now brought into a kingdom and in heaven where they won't be harmed anymore. They won't be abused anymore. There'll be no more sorrow, no more tears, no more mourning. It was God's mercy, God's mercy to do this. And it's hard to wrap our brains around some of these things, but it was God's mercy to keep the Israelites from idolatry. It was merciful for God to limit the conquest of these pagan cities to just certain cities, and it wasn't all of Canaan. It was God's mercy to allow the the Canaanites to live in their land for 400 years, giving them chances, being patient and dealing with them until the point of no return. It was merciful for God to allow individual Canaanites to repent. We see Rahab, uh, who is a Canaanite. She's listed in Hebrews as in the hall of faith. It was merciful for him to allow them to repent and be a part of that. Uh, Matthew 15, where Jesus has the healing of the Canaanite woman who would have been seen as a dog. This was mercy, and this was foreshadowing this radical inclusion that God had for his people, his people and others, that it didn't matter if you were black, brown, white. It didn't matter if you were a, a man or a woman, it didn't matter if you were young or old, you could come and know the Lord God and his name is Jesus. You would be a part of God's kingdom forever. It wasn't specific then to just the Israelites anymore. It was God's mercy. And it was God's mercy that because of Jesus' coming, there was no need for physical death anymore. 
that the wrath of God, instead of being poured out to uh, pagan nations, which let me, before I forget, the Israelites, this was not just God being an enabling parent that never disciplined his children. He disciplined Israel as well when they were out of line and when they were wicked and when they were worshiping false gods and they were practicing some of these things as well. It was God's mercy to pour out his wrath onto Jesus instead of us. It was God's mercy that Jesus became sin who knew no sin, became a curse for us even though we were cursed because of our sin. Everybody take a deep breath. Okay. This is, this is not easy. These, these, you know, I've spent half hour talking about this and this takes time to walk through. This is not a bumper sticker answer uh, to people that just want a bumper sticker answer on Facebook or social media. This takes time to talk through. There's context to this. But Jesus received the full measure of God's wrath instead of me. Um, and I'm thankful for his obedience unto death that now my sins are forgiven. I can stand in favor of, I can stand in favor of God because of my trust in him alone. Anybody hot in here? Is it just me? Um, um, I think something to not lose sight of is how sin does not just affect you. It has consequences and it affects everyone around you. And this is what happened to the Canaanites. For God to judge them in a, in a way that said, this was, this was not going to be for all time. This was God delivering his promised people to his promised land for the promised Messiah to come and bear the weight of iniquity on him so that we could have life and forgiveness of our sins. This was not meant to be all the time. This was very specific that we see. And the Old Testament theocracy and the Old Testament covenant was not meant to be for all time. It was not meant to be ideal. There was a new covenant that was coming that Jesus would fulfill a new covenant, not based on works and Old Testament commandments. It would be based on our heart condition and a transformation of our, our mind, our heart, and our devotion now to him by putting our faith and our trust in Jesus. So the Old Testament God that Richard Dawkins talks about, a bloodthirsty what does he say? Petty, unforgiving, maniacal, bloodthirsty, thirsty, control freak. I don't see this at all. I see a God who is patient. I see a God who had infinite knowledge and infinite wisdom. I see a God who was merciful. I see a God who was serious about sin and at some point got to a point where he said, enough is enough, I'm stepping in. We need to remember the seriousness of sin that apart from the work of Christ, we are lost and we are dead in our sins. Humans are desperately sinful apart from the work of Christ. Uh, outwardly, outwardly, we might say, oh, we've evolved since then, haven't we? We've evolved, you know, we don't do those things. Maybe not outwardly, but inwardly when Jesus talks about how if you Look with your eyes lustfully, you have committed adultery. If you have anger in your heart, you have committed murder. We do these things by junior high. 
these are things that just happen all the time as you even just move through junior high. So to say that we have evolved uh, or say, oh, nobody would do those things today. And I would would push back and say, well, why not? Is it, why would you not do some of these atrocious things that we talked about the Canaanites doing? The reasons probably is, well, I don't want to go to jail and I don't want to be around some of these people who are in jail because I don't, I don't want to be there. Well, that's more about self-preservation, self-interest than it is because you are good. That's the difference. It really doesn't have to do with, oh, we've evolved. It's just, I, I, don't, I don't want to, the consequences. We've just thought through this a little bit more. Back then, there weren't any consequences. Now we, we have consequences so we don't partake in certain things, but we do in others based on the consequences. We're all guilty just in diff- different ways. We, the, the sad part would be to hear this message and to walk out of here and say, those Canaanites, man, they were bad. Not me, but I tell you what, those guys, they were bad. And the truth is, is that my sin is just as detestable to a holy God. I'm trying to remember if I've used this illustration or not before. I know I have in in youth group. But I want you to imagine with me for a second that you have a rock. And you take another rock and you just scratch up that rock. What's going to happen? Nothing. Let's say you take a rock and you go to a junkyard and you scrape up a car with it. Somebody would be like, what what are you doing? Now let's say you take a rock and you go to a used car lot and you scratch up a car. Now you're a criminal. Let's say now you take another rock and you go to a brand new Ferrari lot and you scratch up a car. Your consequences have just ratcheted up because of what? Because of what or who you have sinned against. An infinite, holy God has, and you're sinning against him has infinite consequences. So even one little scratch one little white lie means that we are all guilty, just in different ways. It may not be some of these horrendous things I talked about earlier, but that sin always leads to death. And so if you're hearing this morning uh, and you've walked away from the faith, maybe because of this passage, because of other reasons, let me just remind you in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 it says, Paul saying, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. There's a spiritual work going on. That there's an enemy that does not want you to have your mind open and wants to blind your, blind your eyes, blind, blind your mind from seeing the light, from seeing truth, from seeing God's grace. Because we know Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all guilty just in different ways. So to point the finger and say, oh, they're so much worse. Or look around the room and say, oh, just I'm not as bad as this guy. That's not, that's not what it's measured against. I'm not measured based on the person to my left, to my right. I'm measured up against a holy God that is perfect and I fall short. There is no one that is good. There is no one that does, that does good. 
All my righteousness is like filthy rights to a holy God. The worship team could come up. Uh, so this is like, you know, one of those not really feel good messages. Um, you know, this probably isn't a message that you'd hear Joel Olstein preach very much. Hey, oh, um, but um, sorry, <coughs> sorry, don't mean to throw him under the bus. Um, but we have to really take, take into account that God takes sin seriously. Um, and I'll be honest that probably about uh, a year or two ago for me that there was parts of me in my life that was struggling, um, just wrestling, not really sure what to do with certain things. I read some books that were kind of challenging to me and uh, basically just kind of talked about like, let's unhitch our faith from the Old Testament and let's, you know, let's just focus on the New Testament. Let's focus on the Gospels and... And the danger is that of that is not getting a really true sense of the Trinity, not really seeing that God is working throughout all of history, not really realizing that Jesus is foreshadowed in everything, not realizing that every passage of scripture points back to him, not realizing that Jesus himself says that the scripture cannot be broken, uses the Old Testament to thwart off the devil in the desert. Um, he uses all these different things. He says in John 17, 17, that Lord, sanctify them by your truth. Your word, and he's talking about the Old Testament, your word is truth. So what do we do with these things? Do we just throw it out? Do we say we can't know it? It's not understandable. These are hard passages to come across. Um, my prayer is that this, that you're walking away with a little bit more understanding of what was happening and why God judged them so severely. And it was actually his mercy in, in this sense. You come for joining us today for the latest news and encouraging words from Lighthouse. Rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and now Amazon Music. Just say Alexa, play Come Alive podcast. I'm Pastor Dave O, and remember, we come alive through the power of Jesus Christ. I'm going to catch you next time on Come Alive. <laughs>